Hello everyone, I'm Phil, and I love alcoholics. Um, thank you. Um, I love Al-Anon. Um, I love the program. It's saved my life. It's given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I love hearing stuff like that. Um, I love being part of people's lives and seeing uh, the magic and the beauty and the incredible gifts that we can get in this program. Um, so I come up here wanting to talk about the power of God in my life um, that I got through this program. And um, and today, because of that, I have a life beyond anything I could have ever imagined, beyond anything that I could have ever dreamed of. Um, and I owe it all to Al-Anon. I owe it all to my higher power. I owe it to Alcoholics Anonymous because without them, we wouldn't be here. You know, on multiple levels. You know, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for some crazy alcoholic in my life, I would have never gotten here. And if it wasn't for Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, we wouldn't be here. Um, and so for that, I'm really, really grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and a lot of the conflict I see between our two programs sometimes saddens me sometimes because without each other, where are our kids? You know, where are the next ones coming up? Um, I got here through a relationship with a sober alcoholic. Um, I met the sober alcoholic. She looked at me, said, I'm an alcoholic. And I kind of went, so? Is that supposed to mean something? Um, I've come now in hindsight to understand that it means a lot. <laughs> you know, she was actually trying to help me out by giving me some valuable information about who she is and how she perceives the world and the kinds of things that she does and just went right over my head. Um, I had no idea. Um, you know, she was an alcoholic of the persistent variety, and she kept bugging me about that. And I eventually finally went to an Al-Anon meeting to shut her up. Really. I mean, there's nothing wrong with my life. Uh, and I come to see now if that if that very action in itself doesn't qualify me for Al-Anon, I don't know what does. Um, you know, because you see, truthfully, the problem in my life is not, nor has it ever been, that alcoholic or any other alcoholic in my life. My problem in my life is me and how I see the world and how I think. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out. You know, because that first meeting, I went to the first meeting, I could not stand it. Couldn't wait to leave. And I still have the picture in my head. You know, she was, she was waiting by the truck, you know, by the curb and she picked me up and I walked right up to her and I looked at her and I said, I don't need to be there. You're not drinking. You know, there's a bunch of crazy people in there. <laughs> um, and so we stayed together and we set up shop. And I proceeded to just get crazier and crazier and more insane and just really, really out there. It took me a good, uh, from that time, it probably took me a good year and a half, two years before I finally came to Alamo. I would try every now and then to kind of pop in because I kept hearing this stuff that this is a good place to go. And every time I, I came here, I left just 
couldn't stand it. Um, and then finally, when I finally came to Al-Anon, the, re- the thing that really took me to Al-Anon was the fact when I, when I honestly sat down and I looked at my life, I was miserable about everything in my life. I was miserable in my own skin. I hated my job. I hated where I lived. I didn't want to go home ever. I didn't want to be at work. Had no friends. Um, you know, and I was just miserable. And it was finally like, you know, I think I need to do something about my life because it's screwed up. <laughs> and that finally took me down on. And so, so I came in here kicking and screaming. Did not want to be here. Um, fortunately, I found a meeting that was somewhat reasonable for me, that I that I could stomach being there. And it took me it really took me a long time to be okay with it. And you know, just the way I had gotten this this story for me just really kind of sums up the the best part of it. Is uh, after six months of being in this being in this meeting, going to other meetings, was going to a couple meetings a week. Um, I was gonna I was gonna chair a meeting, which in California, what that means is I just show up and speak for about 15, 20 minutes to the group, and then we open the group up. It's different than the chairperson out here. And so I was gonna chair a meeting, and you know, being in a quote unquote recovery house, you know, I told her about it, and she really wanted to come. I really didn't want her to come. We kind of got into a bit of a fight, and uh, I ended up leaving the house. And uh, I went, you know, showed up to the meeting. And a couple minutes later, she walked into the meeting. And I turned around, walked right up to the secretary of the meeting, and I looked at her and I said, "I can't do this," and I walked out of the room. And there was a couple of things what that was about for me. But the thing I could only see for the longest time is the truth about it was I was going to sit there and complain about her and how miserable she's made my life for about 15 or 20 minutes. Since she showed up, I couldn't do that. And I had nothing else to talk about. You know, there was... I could not tell you anything about my life outside of my obsession with her. Outside of my obsession of how she was treating me, how she was acting, the things she was saying, the things she was doing, the things she wasn't doing, the things she wasn't saying... You know, um, you know, so you come up and ask me how I'm doing. It's just kind of like, well, I'm pissed because she's been doing this and she's been doing that. You know, it's just like, well, how do you feel? What, what are you talking about? You know, what do you mean? You know, what do you like in your life? I like to talk about her. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, let's talk about her some more. And, um, I, that was, that was all I knew. It really was. And because things had just gotten so insane and, and, it took me a long time to really get, you know, I used to sit in these meetings and I used to be jealous of alcoholics. You know, they used to get, they go there and sit in a meeting, powerless over alcohol, what does that mean? It means you don't drink anymore. What am I supposed to stop doing in here? You know, especially when it's her fault. You know, how am I going to stop doing something? And, and you know, I've heard for years, a long, powerless over people, places, and things, all that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, something about that never really sat quite right with me. And I've learned about that recently, because the truth is I'm not powerless over people, places, and things. Look at my amends list. There's a lot of people on it. I've had a big effect on a lot of people in my life. If you talk to her, I had a big effect on her life. Um, what I'm powerless over, see, 
the disease of alcoholism talks about two things for an alcoholic. It talks about the physical, the phenomenon of craving, which they can't control. But the biggest aspect of this disease is this thing they call the mental obsession. That's what alcoholics are powerless over. And I tell you this, I'm powerless over the exact same thing. I, I've really come to believe that I suffer from alcoholism. I just don't drink. And the sad thing about that is alcohol for an alcoholic is the solution. It's not the problem. So here I am suffering from alcoholism without a solution. That's pretty miserable. And so, because the, you know, I could not stop just the insanity that was running around in my head all the time. It would never stop. It would just keep going. You know, there's, you know, I know I can fix her. I know I can change her. You know, this, this time it'll work. And um, it's not about her. It's about me. And um, I just remembered a couple years ago, there was, a, there was a time, and this to me is one of the most vivid memories about just the powerless, powerlessness. And, um, you know, in the big book, it talks about for alcoholics that they've lost the power of choice and drink. And they can't remember any of the consequences. And a year ago, I remembered, or a couple years ago, I remember this time when we were having an argument. You know, it wasn't the worst argument. It was just another one, you know, which were really, really regular by that point. And my daughter was about 16, 18 months old. And um, we were just bickering and fighting. And she stood up in between the both of us. And she said, stop. And she looked at me and said, stop. And she looked at her and she said, stop. And my heart broke inside. You know, we looked at each other and saying saw. It was just like, oh my God, a 16-month-old baby's got no business trying to stop the parents fighting. None. You know, and at that time, I vowed, I can't do this anymore. You know, we, something's got to change. We got to, we got to do this differently. You know, what are we doing later on that day? You know, we're fighting again. You know, I had no control over the thinking. You know, I could not remember later on that day, later on that week what I had just experienced with my daughter. Could not remember. That's what I'm powerless over. You know, it's not that I'm powerless over the alcoholics. It's I'm powerless over this belief that I can fix her, I can change her. Because the truth about it is, it, it took me years in program and a couple inventories, I think like three, to finally get how selfish and self-centered and full of fear I have been and always have been my whole life. Because the truth about me fixing her changer wasn't to make her, to help her life out. Wasn't to like, you know, make her a nice person, you know, and to contribute to her life. You know, if that happened, that'd be a cool byproduct. The truth was, I wanted her to change what she was doing so I wouldn't feel the way I was feeling. So this crazy stuff going on in my head would stop. You know, if I could just fix her and just get her to change. And, you know, so I love what I heard an Alan speaker talk about. You know, in those rooms we talk about we're people pleasers. We're not. We're approval suckers. <laughs> you know, I didn't care about pleasing you. You know, I was doing what I was doing often so you would approve of me so I would feel better about myself. You know, if I really did something nice for you, it was kind of a byproduct. You know, it'd be a nice, a nice benefit. Um, but it was all about me feeling good, me feeling better, me not being uncomfortable, me not being in fear, me not being in pain. And um, I think that's the hardest thing for us to see. 
And to date yet, I haven't sponsored anybody yet who hasn't done a good four-step, who's come away from it going, ooh, I'm really selfish. You know, and I just think, yes. You know, because that's the beauty of the four-step inventory. You know, for as long as I was, for as long as I couldn't see how selfish I was, it's never going to change. And never did change. Um, so, so coming to meetings, sitting down, sharing about the alcoholic in my life made my life miserable. My life got worse after I came to Al-Anon. It got a lot, lot worse. Because the other thing about that first, that first meeting I was going to share, the other reason why I was going to do that was because that's what I had learned recovery was. You sit in meetings and you complain about the alcoholic. You know, I had, I had, I wasn't hearing anybody talking about the steps. I wasn't hearing very many people talking about God. I was hearing people popping slogans, complaining about the alcoholic. So I just sat down and did what everybody else did. And I could not understand why my life kept getting worse and worse and worse. Because I was doing what everybody was saying I was supposed to do. And um, I got so, so hopeless in Al-Anon doing that. And that... And that was just experiencing the fellowship. You know, because there's two things now on. There's the program and there's the fellowship. And the fellowship's that. Fellowships are meetings. Fellowship is calling phone lists, calling people. Meetings after the meetings. I mean, it's, it's necessary. But I see so much in the meetings, we get that confused with the program. The fellowship will not save my life. You know, in fact, we'll sit here in meetings and not tell each other the truth and watch each other go down the tubes at times. Because we're afraid of looking bad. We're afraid of hurting each other. You know, I, I, I do it. I still do it today. And afterwards, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm watching people die here and I'm not saying anything. And um, that's, that's hard to see because I believe the biggest tragedy in Al-Anon is that we don't think this is life-threatening. You know, alcoholics get it. Alcoholics die all the time. And nowadays, the medical establishment sees enough and they'll put on a death certificate, cause of death, alcoholism. You know, when we die from this, they put car accident, you know, cancer, you know, something like that. I got three car accidents while I was with the alcoholic because it was just so checked out, so not present. And just, you know, I, it's by the grace of God that I'm still here and I never got hurt and I never hurt anybody. You know, I don't understand how that happened because I was so not present, so obsessed with the alcoholic fixing her and changing her so I would feel better, so I would feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, and the other thing in Al-Anon is the program. It's the 12 steps. You know, and as I've come to learn the 12 steps, the 12 steps is a guaranteed solution to solve any problem. Guaranteed. The 12 step is a guarantee. You know, I love that I can sit there and, and when I get a new sponsee, look at him and say, I can, I can guarantee you a spiritual experience if you do the work. I can guarantee it. And the reason I can guarantee it is I have not had an experience yet where that has not been the case. Both myself personally and the people I've taken through the work. And that is such a, that's such a beautiful thing. To me, that's the real hope of the meetings. You know, I thought about it. You know, there's, it's one thing to sit, if I've got cancer, it's one thing to sit with a group of people where we've all got cancer and talk about what it's like having cancer. You know, I'll get some relief from that. But none of us know where to go because we've all got it. 
I would rather sit in a meeting with people who've had cancer, who can relate with me about what it's like having cancer and can look at me and say, I know how you can get well. That's, that's the program. The program is, I know how you can get well. I know how you can have, I, I used to go to this place with really good recovery down in San Jose. And three, four years into this deal, I sit in these meetings with people who've been in Al Anon 15, 20 years, still living with a drinking alcoholic. And I, and I used to look at them and I sit in these meetings and I go, there's obviously something about this program you're not getting. You know, otherwise you'd, you'd leave them. I mean, why are you still with the drinking alcoholic? I understand now. I understand. I get it. I see why people can do it. You know, we talked about in the preamble. You can find contentment and even a happiness whether the alcoholic is drinking or not. You can. Anyone can. You know, this is, uh, recovery is not a roll of the dice available for some and not for others. It's available for anybody who's willing to step up the plate and do the work. And the work is the 12 steps. Um, you know, coming to understand I'm powerless, you know. I'm not God. I've been working really hard at it for most of my life. Believing I can, believing I can control and manage my life, my situations, you know, and, and, and talk with you and, and, and really get into some deep, good therapeutic stuff and figure out the nature of the problem so we could fi- finally understand why it is that you're pushing my buttons so we can get you to stop. <laughs> you know, that's how I've kind of orchestrated my life, you know, and, and I'm powerless over this obsession that I can do that. This, this, this belief that that my peace stems from changing somebody out there. And when an alcoholic comes into your life, they, they tend to present a lot of stuff out there. You know, so they're easy targets for us. And, um, you know, so, and, and, and from this mental obsession, my life is just unmanageable. It's just, it's gotten crazy insane. Um, you know, I got to the place where I had, you know, no friends, just miserable with my life. Couldn't stand work, couldn't stand, you know, on some days I didn't even like waking up. Um, you know, and, and I've heard it said, Al-Anon is the only place that you can go where we can sit there and we could talk about thoughts of killing somebody else or killing yourselves. And we all laugh. Because we've all done it. You know? And I heard in a meeting the other night, who, who's, who's playing the funeral? You know? And, and, and thought about that kind of stuff. That's, and these are with people that we say we love. You know, look at a normal person and they kind of go, you're sick. You know, you're crazy. And we think it's normal. Inside the disease of alcoholism, we think it's normal. And so, understanding when I'm powerless over the obsession and everything, you know, I need, basically, I, I, I love the short definition of step one is I need help. I need help, you know, and I'm not it. If I could help me, I wouldn't have come here. It's that simple. You know, this is not a place where I thought it would be a good place to come and improve myself. You know, I didn't want to come here. You know, I needed help. And so in a lot of ways, I think people do step one the moment they step into their second meeting. They could have come into the first meeting by blind luck, you know. But if you've come back a second time, there's a part of you that's saying, I need help. You know, whether you consciously really realize it or not, you know, I need help. And I was coming to meetings because I needed help. And I really saw it and needed help. Step two, there is help. That's all step two says is there is help. 
You know, it's came to believe in the power of themselves. You don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to believe in a God. You just have to believe that you're not the solution. You know, because truly, um, a lot, I, I, I see a lot of people come into program with a belief in God. If belief in God was enough, we wouldn't need to be here. What this program is about is it's about access to God. It's about the experience of God, which is totally different. You know, there's a lot of good people. I, there's a lot of times I believe in God and I go out and do crazy things. I've got to take the action to experience God and have God in my life. And when I do that, that's when my behavior changes. And um, so that's why step two talks about belief. You know, just believe that there is help available. You know, so steps one and two, as I come to understand, are real cognitive steps. You know, there's not, you know, it's sitting down and really understanding my powerlessness. It's understanding that there's help available. It's possible. You know, that's the beauty of having a sponsor. You know, uh, a good sponsor. You know, I I heard for a long time. You know, how do you find a sponsor? Well, find somebody who has what you want and ask them to be your sponsor. Has something you like. Well, I may like the car. You know, the way they dress. When I came when I came to learn like a year and a half ago or something like that, that I love is somebody asked me, how do you find a sponsor? Go up to somebody and look at them and ask them if they've had a spiritual experience. If they look confused, say thank you and ask somebody else. <laughs> if they can say yes, it means they've worked the steps. Have them take you through the steps. Because as a sponsor, that's all I can give you. I'm not a therapist. I don't know what's best for you in your life. I, I hear a lot in meetings, people giving each other advice, oh, you should leave the alcoholic. Last time I checked, nobody came in here because they were doing relationships real well. You know, I certainly wasn't. I had a crazy, crazy household, mixed up relationship, really, really hurt somebody that I professed to love, and I'm going to give you relationship advice? I mean, how selfish and self-centered is that? You know, so that's not my job as a sponsor. My job as a sponsor is to take you through the steps, to be, to be an example of what the hope is of having a spiritual experience and how good life can be. You know, so in a lot of ways, a good sponsor can help you with step two by the very fact of their lives. You know, because truly, isn't that what we really ask when we ask somebody to be the sponsor? Is because we want their lives? Because, you know, they look, they've got a light on in their eyes because they seem happy. You know, that is, you know, I, I could not comprehend happiness when I came here. What are you talking about? You know, I, I just couldn't get it. I, you know, it was just so miserable. And um, so, and then step three is making a decision. Well, people say they're stuck on step three. Where? And it's a decision. You know, for any decision to, to have any meaning, I've got to take action on it. So what tells me if somebody's done their third step is whether they've started doing step four. You know, that's how you work step three, in my understanding. Step three is just making a decision that I need help. Step one. Two, there is help available. Step three is, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give that help a try. Cause the, uh, the truth of what I know is that, um, just left. Okay. <laughs> um, You know, step three is making a decision. 
Step four and five is where a lot of people disappear because they don't want to do the work. You know, because if I really have to take, because, you know, starting to do four is starting to look at how I'm responsible for my life. You know, how I'm the cause of the pain I'm in, not you. You know, and um, so I, I've got to take action. And um, oh, I know what the thought was. The thought was about that, you know, I've heard this is not a program of suggestions. It's a suggested program. You know, so for me to get what the steps say I can get, I've got to do the whole program. If I don't do everything, you know, and turn around and say the program doesn't work, well, have you tried everything? Uh, no. And, um, you know, for a long time I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't do that. Um, and that's why I love sponsoring people who are desperate. You know, if you're not desperate, looking at yourself in this way is not necessarily a pleasant experience. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not. I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some, Unpleasant stuff to uncover. Um, you know, when I when I really finally started to get, it's just like, oh, I'm the one that's making my life miserable. You know, that's a big pill to swallow. You know, especially when you've spent. You know, I still have people that I know today who knew me when I was in that relationship who think she's a really not nice person. You know, because that's the picture I painted of her. You know, and the truth is now today is I have no idea who she is. None. No clue. Because I was such an ass. You know, I, I would come to these meetings and get all these, these pats on the back because I'm such a young guy in recovery. And, oh, if I wish I was your age when I was here doing this stuff and all this kind of stuff. And I was going home, taking everything in the program, setting it outside the door, and just being really mean, you know, really controlling, really manipulative. And and see, the, the hard thing about one of the significant differences I see from alcoholics and from people in Al-Anon is what an alcoholic does is over. It's obvious what they're doing wrong. I mean, just look at it. You know, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're behaving. It's obvious. What we do is covert and generally socially acceptable. We can get just about anybody to buy in and get on our side for what we're doing and how we're treating people. And um, that's why I believe it's so hard to find recovery in Al-Anon because that's really hard to see. Really hard to see. Um, you know, stopping things that people give you a pat on the back for. You know? um, so how do you find out what that stuff is? Start doing step four. You know, I, I'm a fan of the resentment inventory. I, I don't generally... You know, do inventories where I'm looking at my assets. You know, my assets aren't what got me here. You know, it's my character defects. It's the, it's the things. It's how I treated people. It's it's it's. You know, when I sat down and yeah, it's been a really effective method sitting down there and writing how I'm just pissed off and angry and upset and full of fear with people. And then when I get to that part, oh, what's your part? Well, first time I did my inventory, I couldn't really see any of my part. You know, and to this day I'm amazed. I, I think I had like 16 pages of type, small font, single spaced. <laughs> you know, I remember my fifth step, fifth step taking like two days to do. I mean, seriously. And 
and I had always heard about this weight that's lifted that people feel when they do the fifth step. I left my fifth step absolutely convinced that I'd still done it wrong, that my sponsor just didn't have enough courage to tell me at the time, to stop me at the time, so there's going to be a message on my machine at home that's just going to say, if you did it wrong, this is the way you're really supposed to do it, do it again and come back to me. You know, because um, I, uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. But the, but the thing I know is, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I've certainly got strong opinions about how you work the steps. Um, but what I know is the truth is it doesn't matter how you work them, it just matters that you work them. Because um, I got in that experience, even through that, just the fact that I did it was enough that later on working, continuing working through the steps, I had a spiritual experience. You know, I did six and seven and started writing my eighth step list. Um, you know, and I think I started with one or two amends or something like that. And then I had what step 12 guarantees anybody having had a spiritual awakening. It's the 12 step guarantees that if you do steps 1 through 11, your spirit will awaken. You will begin to have spiritual experiences that will radically change your life and your perception of your life. Um, and I had that. You know, and mine was kind of the gradual variety. It happened over like a two week period of time. I had all sorts of pieces just fall into place and huge realizations. And finally, for the first time in about three or four years, I was happy. I began to, I began to get ecstatic about stuff. I mean, during that time, you know, I had a significant change in my job that was not good from my perspective. And I was just kind of like, cool, let's go. Let's go play. You know, I had this, this, I, I enjoyed waking up in the morning. I had different relationships with people. I had different relationship with the alcoholic almost immediately. You know, everything just changed. You know, so it didn't matter how I did my four step. It just matters that I did it, that I shared it with somebody. Um, you know, and then it continued going on and I continued to do it. And um, started making the amends. You know, the hardest amends is frequently a difficult thing to do. Um, but that's as I've come to understand it, step nine is truly where the real spiritual experiences start. You know, when I've lied to you, if I look, if I tell myself, oh, I lied to them, you know, my mental obsession taught me a long time ago that that, the, the possibility of that changing my behavior is maybe like a hundredth of a percent. You know, maybe that might change behavior on some real far outside chance, but no, not really. Um, you know, and if I go down in a fifth step and I tell me and I tell somebody else, that's more likely to change my behavior, but still not really. But if I go to the person that I lied to and tell them I lied to you, that changes me more than anything else. And we miss out on that kind of stuff all the time by not being willing to make the amends. Um, miss out on all the time. And that's where I've, I've established beautiful relationships with people because I have an ongoing process of amends with them. So if something comes up now, it doesn't fester and cause us not to talk to each other anymore or to be angry with each other anymore or to watch just the relationship just pull apart, drift apart. That's what brings relationships together. I mean, it's been real humbling, you know, having done, I was in this relationship for five and a half years, really screwed it up really nice well, and I started sponsoring all these people who, who had these screwed up relationships, and they start doing the steps and go up to eight, nine, and all of a sudden they've got these fantastic relationships, and they're in love with their spouse and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like going, 
I just get to sponsor people with good relationships. <laughs> um, you know, but I get to see that all the time. I get to sponsor these people who say that, you know, I'm done. I'm leaving the alcoholic. I'm going away. And I just sit there and go, you know, I, I, I can't make decisions for you, but I strongly encourage you. Wait till you do the steps. You know, and, and I have not seen anybody yet who hasn't really worked through the steps. Um, I know it happens. My experience is that, you know, most, just about everybody I've sponsored who's been in relationships, I mean, they're madly in love now. They have these awesome relationships. And they're challenging and difficult. And they're in love with somebody that they hated just a little while ago. You know, I know now today I have more love for the alcoholic that I was with for five and a half years than I ever had in relationship with it. Um, and that's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, before I talk about the importance of 10, 11, and 12, which are vitally important, the way I understand steps one and three, I mean, all the steps is one and one through three is where I get willing to change my life. And what the change in life that needs to happen is I need to get in contact with a power greater than myself. Doesn't matter what you call it. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, I got stuck for a long time believing that I had to have some sort of understanding or concept of God before I work the steps. If you come into this meetings, you're disconnected from God. It's, I mean, in AA or Al-Anon, it's just my, it's just what I see around the rooms. You're not connected to God. And so, here's a course of action that if you do, you'll get connected. And that will change your life. So when you do four through nine, that's how I get connected with God. But that's all four through nine does. This just gets me connected. You know, I, I can't live off the food I ate yesterday. Just can't, just like my spiritual life doesn't work off of what I did yesterday. Off the step work that I did yesterday. Off the meditation I did three weeks ago. That doesn't get me connected to God. What gets me connected to God is what I've done today. You know, and that's what 10, 11, and 12 do. If I don't do 10, 11, and 12, you know, I had a very vivid experience, very painful, but very vivid. You know, I, I heard for years in AA, you know, if an alcoholic stops drinking and they start drinking again, you know, they don't pick up where they left off. They pick up where they had, where they would have been if they'd never stopped. You know, and after I had did that work through the steps the first time, you know, right at eight and nine, start making, start making amends. I didn't finish my amends. You know, and I moved, lost my support group. My sponsor fired me because I wasn't doing as much work anymore. You know, because I was connected with God now. This was really cool and a really awesome experience. You know, just just riding high on this so much and stopped doing stuff. Um, I wasn't doing regular daily inventory stuff. I really wasn't, you know, at meetings. I was sharing more of a hopeful message, but I wasn't sponsoring people. I wasn't, um, you know, talking to people after the meeting. I wasn't taking phone calls. And I wasn't doing prayer and meditation. And uh, right at the time, the alcoholic and I had broken up. Right, right, somewhere around when I had my first spiritual experience. About six months later, we got back together again, and I was different because I was still riding off this this high that I had from six months ago. But I had nothing that kept it open. I would, you know, during the six months, I began to do stuff that was starting to block the channel again. And when I got in relationship with the alcoholic again, it was good for a month. You know, just like we know how to do when we get back together again with an alcoholic, it's good for a month. Good for a couple weeks. Um, but I started doing things again. Started getting fear again. Sessions started to kick in. The disease just came back. And inside a couple months, it was like nothing had changed. 
nothing had ever changed. And during that last year we were together, the harm, harm we caused each other, I caused her, was just incredible. And the disease is just, it, it's amazing what this disease does. I went after her one night, literally, intent on killing her. And at the time when I really looked at it, I had to really acknowledge that in that moment, it was the only solution I had. I could not have done anything different in that moment. And I thank God to this day that something happened, break the spell, and nothing happened. You know, but here, here's this person that I said I love, and I'm going after to kill her. I mean, what kind of sense is that? And that's the disease of alcoholism. It just comes right back. If you push God out, the disease just goes, thank you. It comes right back in. You know, it does, does not matter. Um, it's the only thing that will keep the diseases bay is God. Not therapy, not the latest, greatest workshop. You know, all that stuff is good and helps me grow my relationship with myself and my God, but it doesn't give me a relationship with God. You know, I have found nothing better than the steps and I've, I've looked a lot. And during that year, you know, we got, we started getting physical. We were yelling all the time, you know, and, you know, this is the insanity of the time. I remember those times she's you know, like, get out of the house. And I would go and I'd sleep in my car for like three weeks period of time. And it wasn't until like a year and a half later that I kind of looked back and went, oh, by definition, I was homeless. I didn't know that at the time. I was just happy not to be fighting anymore. And, um, and I'm not the one who drinks, <laughs> you know, and that's the, that's, you know, and so I've seen all this stuff and, but fortunately, you know, thank God, I knew where to go for a solution. You know, started going back to meetings more. Heard somebody who, who talked about an awesome relationship with God, just how good life is. And we sponsor me. Yeah, started working through the steps. And, um, you know, this time it was right around having done fourth, I think I'd just done my fifth step a little while before. And the relationship ended. And this time it was for good. You know, and a couple weeks later, the attorney showed up at my work, handed me child custody papers. And I had a spiritual experience with the lightning bolt variety. You know, I, I finally saw, like, my whole, the whole relationship just flash in front of me and saw how I had done, I had done so many things that put me on the receiving end of that. She didn't do it to me. Never did. I wasn't a victim. Not now, nor had I ever been. And I had five and a half years of the most incredible resentment I've ever towards experienced towards anyone or anything in my life just gone. Just disappear. And it's never returned since then. And I've been totally free in how I, in how I relate to her, how I see her. You know, she's, she was really always, she was just like me. She was always doing the best that she could. You know, if she had different tools, she would have used them just like me. I had no other tools to, other than to do what I did. And um, so got back into the steps. And now I began to understand what 10, 11, and 12 are about. You know, 4 through 9 are great, but, you know, if I don't do 10, 11, and 12, 10, I got to take pers- I got to continue to take personal inventory, you know, so I can continue to have relationships with you because God lives between the space between you and I. You want to get closer to God, get closer to people. You know, amends is how I get close to you. I've got this relationship today with this woman that is just incredibly amazing and beautiful. And the beauty about it is, is we constantly keep getting closer and closer because when anything goes on, 
we both immediately look into what is it that I'm doing that's contributing to it, that's causing it. And we go up to each other and we make amends to it about what we're doing. Not about what she's doing or what I, you know, it's just like, oh, I did this, I looked at it this way and this is what it's been and, and, I, and I apologize. You know, I was wrong. You know, we make amends for it and, and we just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And steps, you know, steps 11, you know, prayer and meditation. You know, I'd love to hear that topic more in meetings. You know, that's that's where the real relationship with God really develops. The prayer meditation, to be prayerful. You know, you know, my prayers have changed over the years. I, I don't ask much anymore for what I want. You know, that's still selfish and self-centered. Um, I ask for you know what God wants me to be. You know, and, and I've got to meditate. You know, I know a lot of people who are really good at prayer, and they don't meditate much. You want to wonder why you don't hear answers very often? Because you don't meditate very much. You know? Um, I, I came upon, you know, this literature from the Oxford group, which is what AA spun off of. So, you know, it's part of our lineage. And, um, you know, they presented the idea that God talks to every single one of us. And that's my, I believe that. It's my experience. God talks to me. You know? I've just got to, I've just got to be prayerful and I've got to work on meditation so I can quiet the committee in the head so I can hear when it talks to me. I mean, cause I, there's a lot of stuff I do in my life that's just kind of like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. This is, I mean, I don't do this kind of stuff and it's just like, I move forward and these amazing things happen. I have these amazing relationships in my life nowadays. Um, a couple years ago I had a birthday party and when I met the alcoholic I literally had no friends. And I don't mean that lightly. I had no friends. When when she got pregnant the first time, I looked around. I desperately wanted to talk to somebody. I ended up calling one of her friends just so I could talk to somebody. I mean, I had nobody to talk to. You know, and a couple years ago, I had a birthday party. I invited 80 people. And these were good relationships. These weren't just superficial acquaintances, you know. The program has given me that, you know, through. And, the, and oftentimes it's through these, you know, I'm not sure why I'm supposed to talk to you. But here I am, you know. How you doing? You know, just begin talking to you, you know, getting out of self. And step 12, you know, sponsorship. Step 12, you know, we talk a lot about, about service, about, you know, literature, chairperson, treasurer, all that kind of stuff. And as I understand all that stuff, is that stuff is good, it's necessary, it gets you to meetings, it's awesome. But what that stuff is supposed to be for is so 12-step work can happen which is sponsorship, which is taking people through the steps. You know, if if you've had a spiritual experience and you're not sponsoring people, I can't encourage you enough to start sponsoring people. Your relationship with God will, I mean, you really want to experience a higher power, sponsor people, you know. It's one of the ways I believe my character defects are worked on. You know, six and seven, ask God to remove my character defects. Well, one of the ways my character defects is going to remove, if I'm prejudiced, Prejudice is going to come walking up to me in a room and say, will you sponsor me? <laughs> you know, and I, and I, you know, and I've had to look sometimes at, at just kind of like how I've shut the door on that. You know, no, I'm not, you know, not the right gender or you don't look right or you don't act right or we don't have the same issues or, or something like that. You know, I'm just going to shut the door on God's messenger. And um, I am working a lot more just, okay. And, you know, and it, that's why, you know, Allison talked about, you know, that I asked her. You know, I said, I'll sponsor you. 
you know, because I came to realize it's the old, old school style of sponsorship. You know, I used to come in here, you were given a sponsor. Um, my life depends upon carrying the message to people. I learned that when I lost my kids. You know, I learned that when that relationship ended. So if my life depends upon carrying the message, why am I waiting for you to come up to me and ask me to sponsor you? That doesn't make sense to me. Most of my sponsees now I've gotten because I've gone to them. You know, I've gone to people for first meeting. You know, talk to them after the meeting and just talk to them about, you know, the steps is the real hope in the meeting. You know, if you really want your relationship to get better, if you want your life to get better, work through the steps. Well, how do you work through the steps? Well, find a sponsor, work through the steps. Well, how do you, how do you find a sponsor? I'll take you through the steps. Okay. You know, and I take them through the steps, you know, rapidly. And, um, because we come here dying from a terminal disease. Why am I going to have you take a year to take the medication that's going to, that's going to keep you from dying? doesn't make sense to me. You know, and that's not what the original literature talked about. Um, that's not where this program came from. And, you know, so I, I go get them. You know, there's, I mean, to watch a newcomer come in and just be hopeless, just seeing them die in their chair from, from being in this relationship with this alcoholic. You know, and the truth is, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's a child. You know, I know there's a lot of parents around here and now around here. It doesn't matter if it's in a relationship. It doesn't matter if it was your parent. You know, we love these people. And we're dying because of how we're treating them, not because of how they're treating us. You know, and one of the, one of the things that makes me cry in meetings is, is when, when we go to a really good meeting and people really talk about the hope of the program. And to watch a newcomer share at the end of the meeting, just kind of busting out of the scenes, just ecstatic and excited because, my God, I don't have to be this way anymore. You know, there's hope for me. I can have a good life. That is the best thing we can give to the newcomer. I mean, there's nothing that touches me more. And, and you know, and then to go up and afterwards, I'll take you to work. And watch them get their lives get better. Watch them. Watch their relationships turn around. Whether they stay with the alcoholic or not, you know, God will tell them whether they're supposed to. Not everybody's supposed to be together. And there's certainly a lot of people who've gotten divorces and got broken up who didn't need to. You know? And so, sponsorship is just amazing. I've learned so much about myself. I have faced so many character defects. I have gotten close to so many people just through sponsorship. And every time I sponsor somebody, I'm working through the steps again. You know, the steps are a constant thing. They're not meant to be done once and that was it. You know, it, it maintains my relationship with God. Well, I mean, it doesn't maintain it. It grows it. You know, it just keeps growing and growing. And, um, you know, and then I get to have these relationships with people that are just incredible. And to just watch somebody to come back from the dead. You know, watch the light come back on in the eyes. You know, I hope you don't miss that experience, you know. And if you haven't had a spiritual experience yet, it's there. Work the steps. Find somebody who's had it, you know. there. It's a simple, simple program. It, we'd like to complicate this so much. Um, and it works. You know, we, we say that stuff after the meeting. It works, you know. 
lot of times everybody forgets the part about it works if you work it. Sitting in meetings does not get you recovery. You know, it may give you some relief. Recovery is in the steps. Recovery is in the relationship with God, which gives you a relationship with others. And um, and that's what I've gotten. I've received an hour on. Sometimes I can just look at my life and just weep at how good it is. You know, I don't have problems in my life today. I've got growth opportunities, and I've got dozens and dozens of people that I love. You know, that I want to be with. And the cool thing about it, they want to be with me. You know, and um, who care about me. And it's all through God. It's all through this program. It's through the steps. And. Um, I keep coming back because I get to, because there's no other place in my life that I get to have this kind of thing. And I will keep coming back because I love it. And to give it back to somebody else is just, there's nothing else like it. There's absolutely nothing else like it. So, thank you.